How do I show up healthy with my family of origin? Welcome to the Real Talk Recovery Podcast with the Therapy Brothers. We're brothers, we're therapists, and we know recovery. Bring your stories, your questions, your successes with Real Recovery. How you doing today, man? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. Had a had a little bit of a rough weekend. We went out on the, the deer hunt and for some reason, Mother Nature decided to throw 30 mile an hour winds and rain and snow and sleet. So me and my daughter basically just learned the power of Mother Nature for two days and came home with our tail between our legs. Hey, that's, that's good time. Sounds like a great weekend. <laughs> it's it one of those things where you get back to the house and you realize how good you have it at home. And it's a really good experience for the wrong reasons. <laughs> you invited me up. I'm, I'm just you know, really sad. I didn't <laughs> so sad you didn't bring your son up and come hang out with us. Yeah. We had, literally had the tent, like smacking us in the face from the wind all night long. Yeah. So, Hey, yeah. that's, a, that's a memory. Your daughter will never forget. That's awesome. <laughs> well, it's funny because I got home and she was like, dad, I didn't sleep at all last night and I'm tired and cold. And I said, yeah, but I'm appreciate you going and had fun. And then she came back to me like 10 minutes later. She's like, dad, if I got another good night's rest tonight, I go do it again tomorrow. <laughs> your, da- your daughter's tough. So oh, I love that about her. That's so good. Yeah, that's so, great. Anyway. Yeah. Well, um, all right, let's, let's get into it here with Ryan. So Ryan, welcome to the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me guys. Appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. Uh, if you would just give us some background and some context to what's going on with you and then ask any questions you have. Sure. So I am a recovering uh, sex and porn addict, um, had various cross addictions, um, alcohol, uh, cannabis use in my twenties, but today really looking at some PTSD and some, uh, codependency behaviors that are showing up in my current relationship. And I can see ties back to my family of origin and some recently discovered uh, covert incest or emotional incest. Uh, working with my CSAT, she kicked the idea over to me and uh, found that it it really seems to fit. Um, but I find myself stuck as to how to re-engage with my family of origin. So uh, quick snapshot, I am about five years post-discovery, uh, had with my wife, that is, uh, had probably three years of not a lot of work, just kind of white knuckling it, not plugged into any kind of support group, serious therapy in any kind of way. Had a uh, kind of catalyst within my family of origin system at the end of 2019 with the passing of my sister. And then that, the fallout of some of those interactions around her death kind of echoed previous relationship dynamics and threw me into a spiral. And then some serious recovery work. Um, than in the end of 2020. Um, So losing my train of thought here a little bit. Yeah, so I'm just trying to find my way as I'm working through recovery process with my wife, uh, my healing, her healing, and then really struggling with the different parts of me that are kind of at war. Um, How I show up as a husband, how I show up as a father, how I show up as a son or a brother, um, the unhealthy dynamics of my family of origin, what I think are healthy longings and desires within my family system, family of origin, and just trying to parcel that apart. 
if you've got a question in there, you can pull out. <laughs> okay. There's a lot there, man. Scott, I'm sorry to hear about your sister too. That's on top of what you're already doing, you know? Um, so, so before we get into this any further, I just want to pause for a second and just make sure we're clear. We've done some episodes on this, but let's just at least give a quick definition for our listeners of what like covert incest is, because a lot of people sure. don't understand that, that term. Um, in essence, covert incest is where the child ends up sort of taking on the role as a support system for the parent, where they might be taking on the role of a surrogate spouse or the parent tries to get all their emotional needs met through the child. And is that kind of the same definition that you're, you're using as you describe that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So definitely, um, and particularly in a task oriented role, you know, I was always leaned on to fulfill a task and there were sporadic, uh, emotional needs as various things came up uh, within our household. But I looking at it, I think, uh, so the parent that I was, uh, experiencing covert or emotional incest with was my mother. And I think her attachment style was, um, really unattached, uh, healthy unattachment. So it, it's hard for me to place myself sometimes uh, within the realm of covert incest. Just for that, it's not like I was, um, overmanaged or overwhelmed or anything like that. Um, but I think that was more in, in regards to her attachment style in general. How many kids were in your family? I'm the youngest of three, two older sisters. Okay. So you're the youngest. And, and when you talk about these unhealthy family dynamics now, could you just kind of give some examples or describe what goes on now? That's your family. Uh, yeah. So I'll rewind. I'll rewind a few years ago. Cause I've been again, plugged out for about two years, no contact uh, since the event, since passing my sister. Um, You've, yeah, had, no, a lot you've of had no contact with your family at all since then for two years. Yeah. For, for two years. And gotcha. that was, as that was as a result of, um, my sister's passing and then the care of my two nieces, both minors, um, they it presented or it came out that they were struggling with similar issues that myself and my other sisters were growing up. And I should say that, um, Growing up as a teenager, both my sisters were in and out of the house, uh, failed relationships, abusive relationships. Um, at one point when I moved out, uh, our family of five was housing 10 individuals, uh, my sisters, their uh, spouses and children. So that's when I kind of broke loose from the house. Mm. But that's kind of an ongoing theme. You know, sisters have been in and out of the house, um, a lot of enmeshment with their relation or sorry, with their lives and my parents, uh, particularly my mother. Um and so my role was always kind of to be held back, kind of ignored in the background, but there to support if needed. Mm. Um, and that kind of carried through through adulthood. And I held a lot of shame with that, you know, being I associated any anything that was lacking in my relationship with both my mother and my father. You know, the, the same sex um, parent always kind of goes to the wayside with covert incest. Um, but I really recognize the father wound there now. And I always held any lacks in my relationship with anyone in my family as being strictly my fault. You know, I wasn't showing up the right way. I wasn't doing enough. You know, I was holding myself back. I had um, a sense of shame for some of the things that went on in our family. Um, and of course, that that wasn't okay because the family was, as the outward picture projects, you know, normal, perfect. Right. A lot of pressure there on you. Oh yeah. Yeah. Got to perform. Got to be there. Can't show emotion. Don't say anything. It um, sounds like, it sounds like that, that you were drawn from a lot in terms of like do these tasks and, 
and you kind of take care of things and make sure the family functions well and all this stuff, but not much was given back to you from the family. There was disconnect. Um, you didn't feel seen. You didn't feel connect connected to. Um, and so, yeah, there just wasn't love there. You were being used. Is that, that, that's how you felt. Yeah, that's accurate. And, and that, uh, that void, that lack of love, um, of course it was internalized as a kid, you know, it was because I was undeserving. So there was something innately wrong with me, which tie in here with the, the broader, uh, question I submitted is that, um, that struggle with God that I'm in now as I'm trying to pull together all these relationships. I find that one, there's good seasons, there's difficult seasons, but that one's definitely in contention as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> we, uh, we, we work with, we work with horses and in my life, we do some nonprofit work with horses and, there's a saying, you know, that if you're not taking good care of your horse or you've missed your horse that you ride them hard and you put them away wet. And in a lot of ways, it mm-hmm. sounds like that's what your role was in the family is you come, you take on whatever responsibility, you try to perfect it, do whatever you can. And then you get thrown right back out in the pasture without being like brushed off or cleaned off or whatever else. And then, and then these false beliefs start to form inside of that child this pressure of like, this well, then, is my fault. Yeah. My fault. What's wrong mm-hmm. with me, this, that, and the other. And then it turns into this relationship, not only with God, but I'm, I'd also be curious to know like how those beliefs are playing a role in your, in your marriage too, and how they have in the past. And if they're all connected and if you find yourself, if you find yourself in similar roles in your current relationships that you did as a child. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Showing up, um, love is uh, task-based performance-based. Uh, found myself uh, in that codependent role, trying to predict my wife's needs, um, which typical fashion, I'd, I'd expend all this energy, uh, really try to consume her, you know, keep her in a happy state so that I can be okay through her emotions. Um, but then just kind of feed that resentment because she wasn't reciprocating. It wasn't yielding the fruit that I wanted and that I, I yearned for in the relationship. Uh, but that's because we weren't really connecting. You know, I was I was just trying to uh, manage, control the the emotions in the relationship. And that's not, it wasn't a healthy dynamic. So it was absolutely the case. And I'm working against that now, um, particularly in the last, last year, I was in a recovery group that really helped to um, start to tap into some of these deeper issues going into the, the trauma stuff, family of origin, teenage years. Um, but really in the last probably few months, uh, when I got introduced to your guys' podcast and some of the content, the way that you approach, uh, recovery, uh, kind of helped broaden my approach in a really fruitful way. I'm wondering, um, like where you, you just barely touched on this, but where has dad been? Like, was dad just kind of off to the side, quiet, just like who, who is dad in this whole dynamic? Yeah. Super, super subordinate, um, compliance in the marriage between him, my, him and my mother. Um, he, the first part of my life, probably till I was about seven, eight years old was over the road truck driver. So physically distant when he was home, he was emotionally unavailable. And then that theme, as he got a more localized route where he's home every night, um, same thing, very emotionally unavailable. And I should say growing up, um, through my early teen years, um, I was largely alone in the house. My sisters became teenagers. They were gone. Uh, both parents were working. Uh, my mother worked from home. Uh, about half of her working hours worked 55, 60 hour work weeks. Um, and she would either groom dogs in our basement 
be unavailable or she did dog training out of our uh, outbuilding at our property and would be unavailable there. Um, which of course, both parents working all that time, uh, kind of fed that internal narrative of what right do I have to complain when they work so hard to provide us all these things? Uh, you know, Tyler, you mentioned having horses. I grew up with horses all my life as well, which was always viewed as a privilege. And so it was just, mm-hmm. again, piling on the, the shame and that, that narrative, that false agreement that, you know, what right do I have to, um, feel any kind of negative emotion or anger or resentment, anything like that. When I have all this stuff that other people, I mean, it's, it's the stuff of dreams for some kids. Sure. So, so as you, as you kind of start getting into your recovery work and you start kind of, I'm guessing that you sort of had like layers peeled off where you started to see your family in a different way. Sounds like the loss of your sister was a big part of that. Um, if you're like me and like most people that I work with there, it probably wasn't very pretty with the emotional process of having that reality start to, to hit you. Um, I imagine you probably felt some anger, probably felt some confusion. You probably felt some like even more shame, more regret, like feeling like almost like if you if you watch Tangled, like when Rapunzel finally like steps out of the tower and then she's like so excited about everything she's yeah. learning and going to go do. And then she's like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? Like, I imagine you probably went through a lot of that same process. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. A lot of, um, a lot of buried anger, um, which again, taps right back into that shame that that internal narrative I have myself and my role within the family and really what the family was to me. You know, we touched earlier it, it, now I can say that it was a, it was a childhood without a lot of love. Um, but I didn't see it that way. You know, I was, I was absolutely fish in the water. And so I just viewed any internal lack, any, anything I felt like I was missing. It was just my fault. Um, but yeah, going through the process, um, I, I laughed because there was a letter that I wrote that probably would have been better not sent, but it was sent. <laughs> um, but it was, you know, it is what it is. And it's it, really, it's good to have that understanding out there now. Um, hasn't been any follow-up since then, but so, that, so you've been two years distant from your family for those reasons. And, and now your wrestle is, is that you actually feel this pull to want to be involved in your family in some way that's healthy, but you don't also want to get sucked back into the same old patterns or beliefs or roles that you used to play. Is that, is that part of what you're asking here today? Yeah. So I think, I think that's a big chunk of it is that's, that's been my most consistent and unresolved wrestle. And I think there's some trauma tied up in that. And I can get into that a little bit. Uh, but there's layers. I mean, I think there's a healthy desire for attachment and a healthy relationship with my family, uh, all family members. There's a desire to protect my wife. Um, there's a codependent bent that can come in with that relationship dynamic. There's a lot of uh, trauma for her uh, in the way that I showed up in my relationship with her when we were still in contact with my family. A lot of these uh, unhealthy relationship dynamics in my family of origin, she saw them right away. I didn't see him. And so that yeah. caused a lot of conflict and tension between us. So that's kind of the hot stove. She doesn't want to touch again. So there's, there's that, that plays into it. Um, the big piece. So the, the catalyst that really blew things up, you know, I mentioned the passing of my sister, um, my two, two nieces were minors at the time. And so the question of who was going to be caregivers for them came up. Uh, they were currently living at my parents' house. Um, but it came up that they were struggling with mental health issues um, during this time, one of them had suicidal ideology. One of them uh, named a cannabis addiction, uh, or coping mechanism. Um, so this came up and my other sister and I both experienced similar things growing up. 
So we were talking with uh, my mother about that, our concerns, uh, lackadaisical, lackadaisical approach to um, mental health treatment for the girls. Um, my sister named her experiences. Uh, therapy was used as a threat. You know, stop the behaviors or else we'll send <laughs> you, you to therapy. therapy. <laughs> yeah, ironically, we're like, yes, that'd, that'd be great. <laughs> Let's do some therapy, please, God. Um, but during that, I, I opened up and I shared for the first time uh, that when I was in fourth and fifth grade, I also had suicidal ideation. Uh, a couple of times at bad days, had barrel of a gun in my mouth. And that was responded with silence from my mother. Uh, my wife was also on the phone, uh, four-way call, and she blew up at her after that. Um, some expletives, uh, a lot of, uh, I think, rightly held anger at that. Uh, phone call ended, and then... About a week later, my father reached out um, to let us know how disappointed he was that we were causing such a stink over them not taking my niece's cell phone away, which was part of the treatment plan, outpatient versus inpatient, completely off the off the path of, of where things kind of went off the rails there. So I, I reached out to him, let him know the truth of it, that you know he was blatantly lied to. What was the, the major point of contention was me opening up about this uh, suicidal ideation and mental health struggles and the fact that it was um, completely ignored, not acknowledged, not spoken to. And then he ended up not saying anything to my mother, ended up deleting the text messages to avoid confrontation. So all these feelings of um, that I went through as a child and that covert incest to put your feelings aside, put your emotions aside, just be there to serve the emotional or physical needs of the parent just came to the fore. The the sense of abandonment by my father for always being in the background, um, never stepping up, stepping into his role as a husband or as a father, all came to the fore. And so that was a huge catalyst that sent me into a really deep depression uh, for several months. But it also kickstarted um, some serious therapy work and serious recovery work. This... I'm hearing like little T trauma on steroids, which is kind of an oxymoron. Oh, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> exactly. Um, and so it's really confusing. And uh, I have a really random question for you. Um, would you say you have healthy boundaries with your wife? Working on it. Okay. Yeah, working up. Yeah, I, I love your guys' way of phrasing um, the manipulation that shows up when you're not being honest on the little things. I was, I was absolutely famous for being the nice guy. You know, if I was upset that a certain household chore wasn't done, I'd internalize it. You know, it's not worth the argument, not worth the confrontation. You're, are you tur- turning into your dad a little bit? Oh, I hundred percent was. Yeah. yeah 100%. Yeah. I was living into that, that male role model. Um, but now I'm starting to step out of that and there's some discomfort there, you know, because I, I need her to be happy with me in order to be a man. <laughs> yeah. But I'm, 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 I'm working against that and it's, it's getting easier. Um, right. certainly not easy by any stretch, but you know, it's just like any kind of, um, any kind of exercise. You got to work that muscle to to get better at it. it. Well, what I'm wondering is, you know, do you know who you are as a man? And the, 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 it's like you, if, if we look at this trauma, your whole childhood is a trauma. It's like you were in a bad car wreck. You're in a really dangerous situation. Um, it wasn't healthy. It wasn't safe. And so you got away from it, but now you're kind of reeling You're kind of in this place of like, okay, now, like now what, and who am I? And do I know who I am? Um, you know, from the time you were born until now, Ryan, that this wound is very 
fascinating to me. Um, you didn't have a chance. You've forgotten who you really are. You didn't have a chance. Now, if we, if we apply kind of faith to this and we say, hey, God has put you through this for a reason, through these wounds, you're going to discover who you truly are um, because of all this craziness. But it sounds like you're in the process of that. Sounds like you're still kind of like, okay, what is, what is it? Who, who am I? Is that accurate? Yeah, I think accurate to say. And I think to the different points of the, the initial question that I posed, all those relationships I'm grappling with, uh, my role as a father, as a husband, uh, as a son of God, uh, my role within my uh, family of origin system, I, I think I have firmer foundation on who I am as a father, and I'm able to show up in that way. Um, and I think that's because there's less, less muck around that relationship. It's still pretty new. I've got a five-year-old and three-year-old. And then next in that is my, uh, I, I want to ask you, I, I want to ask you yeah, right, in that, because you're saying I'm confident in that, who I am as a father, is that, is that clear of pleasing behavior, should behavior, uh, performing behavior for okayness as a, as a father? Is it just, are you just there being Ryan? who you are, genuine, authentic, loving who you are, and not becoming what you should be? It's a good question. Um, I would say yes, at least as best as I can through the lens that I see things now. Um, okay. And my, my, <laughs> my, my metric for that is um, I make mistakes and it doesn't, it doesn't lead me to withdraw, which is really typical for me in my previous way. Excellent. I'd show up in relationships. Um, instead, I'll lean into it, typically with my five-year-old. Um, so she's at a point where we can really have some good conversations around, you know, if I make a mistake, I'll come to her. If I show up in a way that I is not matching up with the kind of dad that I want to be, um, I'll name it. You know, I'll apologize to her, answer any questions that she has. And it doesn't feed shame. It doesn't Excellent. lead over to, into other relationships. Yeah. I'm, I'm okay. I think that's beautiful. And I, and I want to kind of go back to what you were saying with this relationship with your wife and what Brandon was asking and how it relates to your family, because I think there's a ton of opportunity for great work to happen right there at that pinch point where, where it's like, okay, if I'm in your wife's shoes, I'm looking at the, and if you come to me and you say, Hey, you know what? I think it's, good for me to open up some new dialogue with my parents. And I want to go test the waters of those relationships again. I'm going to be like, why the hell would you do that? Like, that's ridiculous. Like you're just going to go get yourself burned again. And then I'm going to be the one who takes the brunt of it all. And I like, and so for you to be able to, to know assuredly of yourself that there's something inside of you that knows you need to do that. And to go and have to confront that with your wife and create space with your wife to go do that, that in and of itself is hard, good work. And then you're going to turn around and you're going to have to look at your relationship with your family and say, what's going to be, at least by my best estimation, good health in having a relationship with my parents on the terms that I can keep my values. And now you're willing to step into all of that work. And I promise you, that's going to be messy. Like, you know, it's going to be messy. Oh, 100%. <laughs> yeah. But, but there's a, there's something inside of you that's willing to go do that. And I actually believe that that's part of the confrontation of your false beliefs. You know, it's like, it's like, if you have these, all this trauma, most people want to run from their trauma and then it chases them the rest of their lives. And what we do with trauma treatment is we actually turn them back into their trauma and say, let's go reprocess this. Let's go actually make a new story with this. And then we do that with EMDR or ART, but in a sense, 
you're tapping into the same principles by saying, I'm going to keep working on identifying me, who I am, who Ryan is. And once I know my values, once I recognize these false agreements that I don't want to live anymore, I'm actually going to go act opposite to those things in the very places where the pain has been caused. And in doing so, you're actually going to be doing good treatment for yourself as long as you don't get sucked back in and obliterated by it again. Does that make sense? Yeah, hundred percent. And I, I do a really good job, which is to say I do a really bad job in my recovery at grasping um, the concepts of things and understanding it at a really good head level. Um, but it's that ex- you're talking about the experiential healing, actually walking through it and experiencing uh, relationships in a different way and thereby offering healing. Um, There's this thing that and Tyler and I know this, this is why we run our retreats. It's like, well, when, when you're in a, a, a covert incest relationship in a way, um, mom gets turned into God in, in many ways. Her, she holds the cards for your self-worth. She holds the cards for, for your value, who you are, your self-worth. And, and so when that happens, you grow up and you get pissed at mom for doing that to you. You get in a relationship with a, another woman, your wife, and that's what you're used to. And, and so you do it to yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're taking your question like to, to, to these people, mostly to women to say, am I okay? Am I okay? Am I, am I okay? Please tell me that, that I'm okay, that I'm doing a good job. And the fact of the matter is, is um, when you're in that, that system you'll keep trying that over and over and over again to get that validation. And there's something completely different, completely different that has to happen here. That's way different than this, this attempt that you keep making. And what it is, is that I don't know what your relationship with God is like, but it comes through just getting out of that whole dynamic and surrendering and allowing a God who's, who's completely loving to come in and give you that love and that validation and that initiation as to who you are as a man. Your father was not a good example to you of what a man is and who you are uh, and, and knowing who you are. Your mother taught you that who you are as a man is, is a pleaser. You need to please me in order to be good enough. Neither one of those things are the case. So you, you almost have to see something that you can't see and try something that you've never tried, Ryan, in order to start to feel something different. Does that make sense? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> yeah, it does. But I, I, feel like, I feel like you're describing the magic bullet that's specific to me. So what, what is that magic bullet? What is the thing that I need to see that I can't see? <laughs> well, so, well, I think what Brandon's, I'm going to put together just a couple more dots of what Brandon was saying, I think too, is, is that, when I have a father relationship like the one I had, and then I have a mother relationship like the one I had, it makes sense that I'm now currently wrestling with my relationship with God. And a lot of times I can't even see that I'm ascribing the same false agreements to God that I have with these other relationships. And so if if I'm actually able to see that and go, you know what, and I don't know if this is true for you or not, Ryan, so you can give me some feedback on this, but, oh, like I see God as one who will ride me hard and put me away wet. Like I see, I see, you know, like that's, that's the relationship that I'm supposed to have with God. 
I have to recognize that false agreement. And then I have to put myself in situations to act opposite to that agreement where, you know, maybe, and, and this is hard because you, it's not like you're going to give up all your values and just be like, well, I'm just not even going to try to like be a good person because then that's the way God can love me. It's like, no, but maybe there's a possibility that my love, that love isn't hinged upon that performance. Maybe it's something else. Maybe what Brandon said is maybe it's more of a practice of surrender. Maybe it's the surrender of the belief itself, or in this case, and this is where I was going with you earlier. I think it's in this tied to the same thing is I'm now looking at my false agreements. I'm choosing what I want to keep and what I want to get rid of. And now I'm finding the values that I want to live by. And as I find those values, I'm going to take myself with those values back to that cave where the dragon is. And I'm going to go have a conversation with my mom or my dad. And it's not going to be, I'm shutting you out. It's, Hey, this is how I would love to have a relationship with you. Here's my invitation. And then they'll either accept it or they won't. And then your, your boundaries will take place. Mm -hmm. And the invitation, the invitation will stand as long as the values stay intact. And when you do that, you're now reinforcing this practice of the things you said in your head. It's like, it's like you learned something in your head and I can tell you're a real sharp guy and you've been doing a lot of deep digging. Um, we learn something here. And then it seems clear, but then we have to do something called awkward application. And the awkward application is where most people quit. But if we will awkwardly apply the new principles, eventually we get proficient and then they become new habits. And then that's a new way of life. And so right now where you're at is, is you've got all this knowledge in your head, you're ready and you want to go act with courage against these things that have been plaguing you your whole life. Now you've got to be willing to go into those caves, whether that's with your wife or your parents or your siblings or with God himself and practice this new set of values inside the context of those relationships. And in order to do that, you're going to want to have to have a team of people who are going to be like, yeah, you got your butt kicked on that one, but nice job, dude. That was good work. You know, like keep, hold the line, keep going with that, you know, and, and you'll, you'll reinforce those principles. And so I don't know if that's necessarily a magic bullet as much as it is a lot of work, but I think it's one, it's at least one path that you can travel to start to rewire the, that, that belief system. There's a, to, to just kind of say the same thing Tyler's saying in a different way, that there's a dissonance between your ego and your soul. And when you act on fear to protect yourself, then you're, you're getting further into forgetting who you are as, as a man. When you act on intuition and truth and love, then you start to get to know yourself. And your mom has trained you to not do that. And I'm not saying this to rip on her, but she's trained you to sell out, to give yourself up, to, to act in protection mode to make sure there, and your dad has too. He's, he's modeled to you, avoid conflict, you know, just don't, don't feel those things act in protection mode. That's your ego. So that that's, that's your brain saying, okay, this is what you do to survive. What you need, here's the magic bullet. Ready? Ryan, <laughs> what you need to do is learn how to tap into that part of you that might be buried deep, deep down that says, this is who I am. Your kids, they don't need the perfect dad that you should be. They need Ryan. Your wife doesn't need the perfect husband that you should be. They need Ryan. They need your soul, who you are as a unique, beautiful individual. 
Um, and so for you to just kind of try to find who is that, who's that Ryan and, and how does he show up in this situation that's unique to me, not prescribed from everybody else about what I should be. And in those little moments of courage to actually show up as you, you'll start to discover that's me. And I like me and I see me and I know me now. And it's not designed by my mom who's telling me what I should be. Does that make sense? Yeah, it absolutely does. And there's a lot of, you're, you're tapping into some emotional depths there. Um, <laughs> so yeah, no, it absolutely does. That makes sense. Ryan, right. Talk, stop for a minute and just talk about those emotional depths for a minute. What's being touched there right now? Oh, it's just that, that sense of okayness. Like you're, you're just, to me, the way I interpret it, interpret what you're saying, Brandon, is just that sense of just being okay. Yeah, with whatever you, with who what, you are, trusting yourself, loving yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that taps into, that's in taps into my day-to-day flow. Like I'm, I'm the type of guy, I'm a go-getter. I can't, I can't just be um, kind of in a, a point of stasis. I can't just be in one spot. I have to be achieving some kind of goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like even when I'm trying to be conscious of the negative application of that part of me, I, I still fall into that. And it's really hard to break from that without t- tipping into anxiety. Um, because the ego is there to protect. So it's really scary to let go of that protection mode go. and to just be. Yeah. I know it sounds weird, but like for a guy like you, it's one of the best things of treatment you could possibly do. And this is going to sound strange is to purposely schedule some time where you're not allowed to do anything. Yeah. And and to learn how to sit with that anxiety and learn how to be at peace with yourself and learn how to realize that life is going to go on without having to be constantly in motion and to actually come to, to some type of knowledge of who the being of Ryan is instead of the doing of Ryan, you know, um, that, that could be, that could be maybe the most excruciating homework you could ever do for yourself is to be alone with yourself with nothing. Oh, to well, Tyler, Tyler, can I, up, can I up the Annie? And some, sometimes like yesterday, my, I got, I had an issue with my son and he got really mad at me and he went in his room, stormed off and I wanted to go fix it right then. And what I needed to do was just, I was okay with how I handled it. I, 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 I just needed him to sit in the pain of what happened for a minute and just sit there. It was uncomfortable for me to just sit there. And so when I say up the ante, when I, when Tyler's saying just be sometimes just be when someone else is not happy with you, even your wife, you know, when you, when you're honest with her or boundaried with her or open with her about something, she's upset to allow her to just be okay with being in discomfort, right? It's going to be in those moments where it's like, Hey, I'm just, I'm just going to let go and not try to make everything okay. Um, or, or run the other way and avoid this discomfort. I'm just going to be in it. It's okay. Right. What are you thinking, Ryan? Uh, that's, so that's been my first practical step is the the relationship with my wife, integrating some, um, actual healthy boundaries. And that's, that's part of the thing is as I'm applying boundaries that are invitations for connection in the relationship with my wife, Excellent. um, I start, I start looking at the boundary that I have placed with my family, this, you know, straight 
no contact. There's there's really no invitation for connection mm-hmm. at all. Um, the the times where they've reached out, I haven't responded, and so there's just no. And you know what? I I, I can also grant myself the grace that where I was at at that season of life, that's that was necessary. Sure, um, absolutely. It was necessary for a lot of healing, separation from from both relationships uh, to my parents in order to focus on my recovery. Um, but now it's those next steps. And, and like you guys are saying, it's connection with the, the truth of who I am and that I'm enough, you know, just as I am just kind of grounding myself in myself to then approach and set a boundary, uh, because that's going to be necessary to a connecting boundary with my family of origin is grounding in the truth of who I am and my values and my beliefs. There's a really beautiful place you can get to with your family of origin, which is, is you having compassion and understanding for why they are the way they are. Um, your mom and dad are, aren't screwed up just because they want to be malicious and cause you problems and all this stuff. They have their own stories. They have their own pain. And there's this beautiful place, Ryan, of you like loving them because you see their pain and you can see their pain and love them and be honest with them about who you are and what works for you and what your boundaries are just because you're close to them and you can intimately see their pain does not mean that you're then going to caretake for them and give up your boundaries. And, and that's when you know you're really going to get somewhere with them is when you can hold that space with them. That's the healthy attachment place. Does that, does that make sense? It does. And the chain of thought as you're saying that one of my biggest fears is fear of rejection. Yeah. I've experienced Mm -hmm. it. Family of origin, little Mm -hmm. T stuff and just, growing up high school relationships. Um, but it's that fear because I've never had a close emotional relationship. I've never had, I've never experienced emotional vulnerability with anyone in my family of origin. Right. And so the idea of, of getting close enough with them to hold space with them, see their pain, um, like that implies to me uh, a level of vulnerability that I don't know that I've ever seen on their side before. Which you might not get reciprocated. You probably right? and, won't. And for you to beginning. know, yeah, for you to know that, and then you can kind of be boundaried and navigate that relationship. Um, but, but it's, it's not so much about how they're going to come back and validate you because you're getting your validation elsewhere, right? So you can hold their pain. You can see their pain. You can be boundaried with them. They might not be coming over for Sunday dinner every week. You might not call them, you know, the first time that you're upset or frustrated, you might call someone else, call a friend, call Right but you can start to reconnect and see their pain and still not have those really close relationships. Does that, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It's, it's the shift that happens on the inside when you start to see that story and go, Oh, you know, like I don't have to take everything as personally as I now thought I needed to. Once I recognize that these things were not healthy in the first place. Now I just recognize that they weren't healthy and they came from a place of bad health as a result of the trauma that my parents experienced. And I still need to have my own boundaries while I can love my parents for who they are. And so that's where that, that's where it then becomes like you were saying an invitation rather than a flat out wall that you put up with the family. It's more of like, Hey, I realized that the way we were raised wasn't healthy and it came from a place of non-health and I'd like it for it to be different. And so this is what I'm going to do. And if you want to come along, I'd love that. And if you don't, that's going to make me sad, but that's okay too. You can be yourselves, right? The, ra, yeah. Ra, Ryan, the, I'm going to use the, the F word here. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, 
<laughs> I, I mean, it, it, it is about like, where, where are you at in the process of forgiveness toward your parents? You know, and have you forgiven them? And I, I never want to tell somebody to forgive. I'm not uh, telling Brandon, you that. I would say be in a state of forgiveness because we can all forgive in a moment, but it's usually a thousand times over. Yes, that's, that's right. Like where in the process are you with that? And, and and really, what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is coming to a real place of peace in your heart, and 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 not being at war with them. What do you think? Yes, I think I can I can grant where they're at. You know, you talk about the lack of malicious intent that my parents didn't come to the role as parents with the intent of you know doing anything with the intent of harming myself or my sisters. Um, I, with the knowledge I have in my family, it's generational. I mean, it's talk of generational right. curses. Um, so I, I, I absolutely see that. It's interesting the the forgiveness, forgiveness for them comes more easily than the forgiveness for myself hmm. yeah, and the way I show up in the relation. You're so that's, still taking it on. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. And because, and here's, here's where the logic follows for me, you know, the, the air quotes for those listening, the boundary that I have placed with my family, uh, the one that's just completely cutting them out it doesn't allow for any connection. It doesn't allow for them to show up in a different way. And so since I'm the one that's holding that line, that's hemming off any possibility for connection, um, who am I to say that it's any kind of their fault because I'm not allowing them to show up differently. Um, there's that, there's that little boy that takes everything on, right? Do, do, do you hear it? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. yeah, there it is. Um, but Brandon, there is a little bit of truth in what he's saying there. That if I go and I throw up in the wall, and this is what I liked about where you're going, Ryan, is you're recognizing now that the pathway to the potential of your own growth is the word vulnerability. The trick is how do I set the right boundaries to protect myself, but step in with just enough vulnerability to offer that opportunity. And in doing so, I'm challenging my own belief system, giving myself an opportunity to grow and giving my parents a chance or my family a chance. Uh, it, vulnerability is the answer, but vulnerability paired with healthy boundaries is the answer. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think the, the healthy boundaries needing to ground myself in, in my truth and in, in my, in my beliefs, like that's, that's all muddied. And a part of that, you know, I, I smiled earlier. I think, I think you were talking about Tyler, um, the being okay with sitting in the discomfort of whoever we're talking about the relationship, be it my wife, mm -hmm. be it my mother, my mm -hmm. father. Um, I really struggled with that. I was so codependent. Uh, we use my wife as an example. Um, if she was having a bad day, like whatever happened, kids were holy terrors, whatever it might've been. Um, I internalized anything that was going on. If she gave a, a sour look, it was something that I did and it was mine to change. And I think part of that ties back to the covert incest relationship with my, with my mother. Like I was the emotional sounding board, particularly in my preteen, early teen years, there was a lot of, a lot of dysfunction, a lot of acting out with my sisters. And so every experience, and there was some, some bigger T trauma. We had my um, three month old niece was kidnapped from our house oh on gosh. father's day. And yeah, there was never any, I was 13 at that time. And that kind of uh, propelled me into pornography addiction, acting out. Um, Cause there was no, no touching back to see how I was doing. And that it was always the way that my sisters were acting, the way my father was acting, whatever external person, again, triangulation, was acting and how it affected my mother. 
And so my emotions weren't considered. It was always just how it affected her. Um, yep. So it's hard for me to see any negative emotions on anyone and not the feel the compulsory need to manage them because that was such a need for safety and security for me uh, consistently growing up. And so I, I know there's, I know there's trauma work there. I recognize some of the, um, some of the overlaying situations. I, I can see PTSD symptoms now. And so that'll be an area of work for maybe at ART yeah. or yeah. EMDR, or um, I'm curious about Ibogaine. I, I won't sidetrack the conversation too much here. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, that'll be, that'll be some next steps for me. And so um, I, I think that might be, and maybe this is avoidant, call me out if you think it is, but I think that might be a good intermediary step before stepping into any kind of uh, relational work with my family of origin, just so I can get some of that grounding in my truths and beliefs and actually have firm footing in it. Or is that just another way of being avoidant? I, I would say go do it. You're I, in a perfect spot to do it. Yeah. Before, okay. before you dive into the relationship stuff with them, I would say do your trauma work, like really dive deep as deep as you possibly can. That trauma work might not take that long. Um, it could be fast. So, yeah, who knows where it's going to, how the processing is going to go. And yeah, uh, my question for you is like, do you have this boundary with your family because, because you want that or because your wife wants that or both? I think both. Um, I can I can disconnect more with uh, what my wife wants. <laughs> I say that in the best way possible. <laughs> I know she's going to be listening to this podcast, and she knows uh, we've we've had we've had a lot of conversations around it. I mean, this is obviously a pain point for me in recovery. Uh, it's one of the the causal things um, for me in my addiction. And so it, I've done a lot of work around it with the different group work I've done, counseling work without really diving into the trauma of it. And so it's been a, all I have to say, it's been a regular topic of conversation. Um, it sounds I like, think, it sounds like she, your wife really has your back, that she's trying to protect you and she has your back. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, she yeah, was mama, yeah. yeah. She was mama bear for me, which um, of course that's way too intimate. And so I, I tried to push her away. <laughs> because that's, not the, that's not the kind of relationship I was set up or, or willing to have, or I should say comfortable with. She's fighting uh, yeah. for you. She's protecting yep. you. She cares about you. She loves you. Yeah. Um, but do you know why, why am I asking this question, Ryan? Oh, to try and break down any, any false belief that I have that I need to avoid uh, walking into this area of work for her sake. Yeah. You don't, you don't have to talk to your family ever again. That might be the right thing to do. It might act, it like actually, because the, the boundary might need to be that firm for you to be a healthy human being to, to have that space from your family. Um, you might need to rekindle those relationships. That might be the right thing to do. The important thing is, is that you are really, it's what I was saying earlier. You're, 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 you're seeking out who are you, what are your truths and what do you need to step into moving forward? And it's not doing it from a place of pleasing somebody else. Mm -hmm. It's actually doing it from a place of what God's asking you to do. Um, does that make sense? It does. Yeah. I, I hold, I hold both possible outcomes or, the, the possible outcome of having no contact with my family on one side and then a wide variation of outcomes on what the relationships might actually 
be able to look like depending on, you know, how they're able to show up, how that lines up with my boundaries. Right. Both those things are true. Um, but really the block right now is that no contact. Um, and so it's, it seems like an eventuality that that will come yeah, because without that, it's so easy to internalize the shame. Like I'm, I'm the reason why, yeah. you know, and then plug, plug whatever in here. But you, you need to, you need to figure out, is that shame or is it guilt? Cause what Tyler was saying earlier, like, are you being called to, to reestablish those relationships? Um, or is it shame coming in just saying, no, you're bad. You shouldn't do this. You're to blame. That's all you are. And if you can differentiate between what guilt feels like there, you listen to that guilt and that guilt might push you in a, in a certain direction. But if it's just the shame, then you need to do the trauma work to get that shame out of the way to, to then step into what your truth is here. Would you say that, so say, let's look at my life as an experiment. Say all the other inputs are controlled. So uh, best, best possible case scenario with my uh, work, everything is going well there, low stress, uh, best possible scenario with my role as a father, as a husband, my friendships, uh, we'll throw a church in there as well. Um, if, if that feeling of needing to do something is still there, when everything else is going well, meaning that all the other external factors aren't driving me towards uh, a shameful self-image, um, is it more likely that that's guilt then and a healthy push towards it? Or let, let me ask you this: What does what a loving God who loves you unconditionally want you to do? Not a contingency model God, the God that's going to tell you what you should and shouldn't do. What's a God who has your back, who loves you as as His Son, who just what what is he nudging you to do? And maybe you have that answer. Maybe you don't have that answer yet. Yeah, I don't know that I have that answer. I, mean, I don't, I don't been, either. So yeah, it's been yeah. a topic of prayer. Uh, I think that's a good thing to be wrestling with, and it's a good it's a good place to be wrestling to to kind of go along with your question here. Um, I don't know. I think Brandon's basically saying, come to your answers from God and then go do what's right for you. And that's the goal here. He doesn't want you to yeah. be another way to look at your question is, are you going to go do what you need to do so that you can feel like a good person and, and that that'll make you a good boy again? Or are you, do you need to go do those things because that's the effective thing for you to do, whether it's to help stretch yourself into being a better man or to live according to your values and if it's, if it's guilt, it's going to be saying, oh, you're not, you're not lined up with your values. Go do that. If it's shame, it's going to be more like you're a bad boy. Down. You're a bad guy. Yeah. You're a bad, you know, this, that, and the other. And, 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 and there's, those things are hard to separate sometimes, but when you start to tease those out, um, just from an outside perspective on a literally a quick 40 minute conversation, I just want to give you my opinions and you can take it for what it's worth. Okay. I think you're doing awesome work in your recovery as it is you've you're down to the deeper levels of recovery now like you're down to where the gold is going to be found here but it's going to be you have to dig a lot of dirt to find the gold and when you do it's going to lead you to the places where you're already starting to go i actually believe that where brandon loves the quote you know the cave you fear to enter lies the treasure that you seek mm -hmm. your your family of origin is one of it's part of the cave oh yeah and yeah they've yeah. they've, they've created it's, some dark caverns for you it's the it's the oh. cave and and i believe that that feeling inside of you knows you need to go confront that stuff but to get there i think you'd be wise to do your trauma treatment 
you'd be wise to be practicing these principles in your marriage with your wife who is on your team. And she's still going to give you some pushback and there's going to be some tension and there's going to be some rough spots there. And as you strengthen those muscles and you need to develop a team of other men that you can rely on, once you have that stuff in place, you, you need to go back into that cave. Your, your heart is right. You need to go confront those false beliefs. You need to go set with new no, boundaries. With no expectations. And you get to go in there for the sake of your own heart, not even to fix the relationship, not even to like have this blissful thing or to manage everybody else's outcomes, but to do what God intended you to do, to be the man he designed you to be. And, and you're going to have to go confront those things eventually. And maybe that's too big right now, but you know, it's there. It's like, it's like watching a really good movie. You know, eventually that thing's going to have to happen. So let's get you the strength and the skills by doing these other things, these kind of practices and the development of these new, like abilities that you'll have so that when you step in with your family on a more vulnerable level, you'll trust yourself to at least be able to take care of those emotional needs. So does that make sense? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely does. Yeah. You're, that, on the, uh, you're on the right path for sure. No, thank thank you for that. The the piece that was a lot that you just said. The piece yeah. that that really resonates with me is that that kind of shift in what the end goal is, um, making it really explicit. It's just for the healing of my heart. That's like if I if I look at everything I'm doing, whether it's trauma work, whether it's just dailies, uh, just if I uphold that as the the named goal, it sounds like that's that's a good touchstone for me at any point. Yeah. You know, it's interesting when, and I know we're out of time, but when, when you look at generational trauma, like your mom and dad are the way they are because of there's reason and their parents were the way they were because there's reason and it's passed down and passed down. And, and you're being invited to kind of become your mom and your dad in many ways. Like their, their system has created this so that Ryan can become dysfunctional like them. Right. And the, the, the only way to break these chains of generational trauma is through real consciousness and courage. And, and people can absolutely break generational trauma patterns, um, but they're the resilient, courageous, powerful individuals. And if you do this work, Ryan, you're going to change generations going forward. You're going to change your kids' lives. Um, but, and, and you are, you're a courageous man who's saying, I'm going to do this work. I want to step into it. Now I just want to know what it is. Like, <laughs> where do I go and how do I do this? So I echo what Tyler said. Um, you're in the process of it right now and you're actually doing really well. I would suggest some trauma work, um, some, some specific trauma work like EMDR, ART, mm-hmm. that's more experiential so that you have those shifts on a soul level. Um, I'd, I'd recommend you know, stuff like me and Tyler do some experiential work that Mm -hmm. is actually, it shifts you. It provides that, that space of doing nothing to just experience God. That type of work would be good for you as well. So Ryan, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Really appreciate your vulnerability, your courage. You did it today. This is experiential coming on, sharing your story. So really appreciate you. There's no doubt in my mind that you are the transitional figure for your family tree here. No and pressure. No pressure. You're not saving everybody. You don't. We're not saying not, that. That's yeah, not need, to put to pressure on you. I'm not trying to act like your mom for you, but that's, you can, you can feel it emanating from the inside out of you. There is something deep inside of you 
that just is in the process of remembering and learning who he is. And if you'll stay on that pathway, I think there's going to be real beauty in your life and in your family life as you move forward. Um, so thank you for your willingness to come on today. And for those of you guys listening, like, I hope you can feel the energy that we felt from Ryan as we've talked with him today. And, and if this is meaningful for you, share it with those that, that it could impact as well. So thank you. Thank you guys. We'll see you. Yeah. Thank you guys.